a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there, and welcome to the show, my fellow truth seeker. We've got some great stuff to cover today. Hey, this program is uh, here for the purpose of encouraging people to think as clearly and independently as possible. It's just a product of the times that we live in. There is a lot of mass deception. There's a lot of disinformation and misinformation. And I'm not talking about people who are just deviating from the official narrative. I'm talking about information that's beamed at us 24-7 to keep us from getting too close to the truth. Isn't that a stinker? Nonetheless, I'm, I'm very happy to be here each day and provide you with hopefully some food for thought to get you thinking outside the box of conventional wisdom, outside of the limits of acceptable opinion, to where you can make your own mind up as to what it all means and where we're headed. So in interest of this, I have uh, I have a number of sponsors who make this possible. They include garagedoorproservices.com, also lifesavingfood.com, monticellocollege.org, and hslammo.com. In fact, I'm going to take a minute here and kind of brag on Spencer Worthington for a moment. Spencer called me over the weekend, said, Brian, I found something that I think you would be interested in. It's a Latin phrase, sapere audi. I think I'm saying that correctly. Hang on a second. I'm going to double check my pronunciation. Sapere audi. That's it. Okay. (laughs) Miriam Webster, thank you for the assist. This is a Latin phrase that simply means dare to know. And it's a very fitting, I, I may have to, I may have to actually change the motto of this show from revel in wrong think to superior aude because it takes courage to face unpleasant truths, to face unthinkable realities squarely. I mean, it's a lot easier to believe the comforting lies. Hey, whatever government's doing is in your interest, and we're just doing this because we care about you and we want to solve your problems and help you do the things you can't do yourself. Now, hopefully you're cynical enough you realize, eh, that's, that's not always the case. But as far as being a truth seeker, it does take courage. It takes a certain amount of daring to know what's going on And then to, you know, make your own decisions, adjust, what am I going to do in response to this? So there's something you can write down. It's spelled S-A-P-E-R-E, Sapere Aude. And Aude is spelled A-U-D-E. So those of you who are fluent in Latin, you're already nodding your heads thoughtfully, probably stroking your beard. Yes, yes, yes. I remember that well, and uh, it all makes sense, but my... My invitation to you is to be one of those people who dares to know with the understanding that sometimes it's going to lead you to uncomfortable places. Sometimes you will bump into the limits of your mental universe. That's never a fun thing, but it's necessary if you're interested in really understanding the world around you and understanding what you can do as an individual to improve the world. So, sapere aude. Sounds like a fitting phrase for the times in which we live. All right, let's dive in here. 
You know, oh, by the way, again, thanks Spencer Worthington for, for pointing this out to me. Spencer is truly a renaissance man, always keeping his brain going, always working to, to learn more and understand better. He's also got that indomitable spirit of, of freedom. And that's, that's why he shares things like this with me. This is why he and I can be friends. Well, let's talk about why it's so hard to discern who the good guys are in so much of what's going on around us. Got an article here from Alan J. Pfeiffer that reminds us who the good guys are and why, she, why we should remain hopeful concerning the future. Now, as a writer, he says, one of the joys of wide distribution of my musing, my musings rather, is the people I get to meet. In fact, he says, the other day, two of my readers, while in general agreement with my writings, pointed out, and I'll paraphrase, there's no going back to the good old days. Well, Alan Pfeiffer says, well, where does that leave us? He says, I wrote back that I have a different vision, a different take on what's inevitable and what's not. So he says, I'll start off with a little personal story of what the good guys sometimes looked like and then move on to a few answers. He says, I hope you find this not just interesting reading, but both inspiring and useful as a roadmap. He says, early in my life, I rubbed shoulders with and sometimes worked with people associated with freedom movements in Latin America and beyond. Names like Air America, White Hand, Southern Air Transport, Alpha 66, and the Contras, among the smorgasbord rather of sometimes aligned and other times non-aligned organizations, all fighting for freedom in their respective countries. Now he says, once you start living outside the bubble of the media elites telling you what to think and believe, you find out there are different truths than reported. He says, back in 1979, a powerful earthquake hit Managua, Nicaragua while I was there. When I got stateside, I watched an NBC story that featured a school that was badly damaged. The on-air personality said, this was the scene of a deadly shootout between government forces and communist guerrillas. Except I knew the school had been damaged in the earthquake, not in a government assault. I also reached out to NBC in New York and was astonished at their lack of interest. And so he says, I learned that the national media cannot be trusted. So why is this important? Well, he says, the world is moved by the actions of the few, not the many. About 6% of all the colonists, at most, fought for our future freedom in the American Revolution, out of just under 3 million people living here at that time. So the point is, small numbers of people can and do make a profound impact on the rest of us. Thinking people understand that the unresolved and divisive political issues at play are a threat to our future. There are actions and events contemplated by the ruling Democrats that threaten us at our most basic level. For example, the doubling of the size of the IRS is a profound political statement. On the one hand, it's a statement that the government needs more of your money, that even with record high tax receipts, it's not enough. On the other hand, it's also a statement of control. You may remember last year the Biden proposal to give the IRS routine access to your bank accounts. Public opinion was so universally against this draconian idea that it was quietly dropped. Having been stymied there, Biden and the Democrats created an omnibus spending bill that is much more about control of the populace and staying in power than anything having to do with bringing down inflation. Now, he points out that America is a country built on three fundamental principles, patriotism, capitalism, and freedom. 
And this interlocking triad works only in concert. If you take away any part, the other two principles mean nothing. So when you view the news through the prism of what's important and true, you see a never-ending, deliberate, and focused attack on traditional America. All three of these principles are systematically being driven out of our daily lives. Not everywhere, because there is resistance, but bit by bit, America's enemies, foreign and domestic, are continually taking bites out of who we are. Through the process of incrementalism, our country today is very different than just a generation ago. Patriotism is under attack. A New York Times daily brief describing the J6 attack stated, January 6th was a political action that became a federal crime, and politics infuses these cases. Some defendants have argued that they're being persecuted for their political beliefs, and in a broad sense, they are. Ask yourself this. If you believed that your government had turned on you and elections were no longer a viable way to to save your way of life, what would you do? Well, our government no longer reliably is responsive to its citizens. And even more important, the government selectively enforces laws and rules depending on whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. Tens of millions of people realize this. Ignore us at your peril, as patriots are only now coming to the realization that there may be no other course before them than to fight the tyrants. As far as capitalism, he says too many Americans question if capitalism is past its prime and there's a better way forward. Here's one popular example of the diatribe being taught in our schools today. Capitalism is the main power behind most modern societies today. Private owners, in other words, the minority that has hold over the greater piece of the pie, create businesses and decide the means of production and the outlet for the revenues making the economic decisions for the rest of the people, those that do the labor work. Now, the problem here, of course, is the gross oversimplification of that statement. The obvious counter should be, what other system has lifted more people out of poverty and in that way enriched so many lives? The answer, of course, is none. A dumbed-down American education system spends more time talking in glowing terms about Nelson Mandela than it does about George Washington and capitalism. And every year, the telling of American history gets just a little bit crazier and a little further marched to the left, with many students believing the worst instead of the best about their native country. And for crying out loud, some schools fly Mexican flags instead of U.S. flags. His point is, you reap what you sow. We're going to come back to Alan Pfeiffer's commentary right after this break. You'll like to hear his take on how freedom is also being redefined. We'll get to that in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Want to give a shout out here to GarageDoorProServices.com. This is of particular interest for my listeners in St. George, Cedar City, Mesquite, Colorado City. If you're looking for a good local company to install, service, and repair garage doors, commercially as well as residentially, these are the guys you want to talk to. Garage Door Pros. Their doors are made here in America. They have quick response, much faster lead time than other companies can give you. And their number is 435-525-2773. You can also go online to their website, garagedoorproservices.com. If you do that, take a moment to read some of the customer reviews, read what their customers are saying, 
and then know that these are the guys you can go to with confidence. GarageDoorProServices.com. So I'm sharing this article on who are the good guys. This is from Alan Pfeiffer. He talks about how capitalism and patriotism and freedom all are under attack right now. In fact, he says freedom is being redefined. Freedom of speech, our ability to pray, an entirely new class of thought crimes now exist as if we were living inside the book 1984. Hate crimes are an offshoot, an early warning of what's yet to come. You'd have to be living under a rock if you haven't heard the now semi-official feelings or violence. If it feels right, that's enough, says your newly brainwashed youngster. But feeling is not truth. So where's the uplifting hope for the future? Well, Alan Pfeiffer says, you, my readers, are the future good guys. An appreciable portion of the J6 defendants are the good guys. People reading conservative blogs, books, and podcasts are those good guys. The good guys are the doers. They are the people who figure out tough problems and solve them. And solve them, rather. They're the entrepreneurs, the professionals, the truth seekers who will become an army of the many. Already, he says, the Democrats fear us. That's why they call us out, prosecute us, and call us evil. One overreach, one miscalculation by the ruling class, one more attack against our children, and an organic uprising may be inevitable. I mean, it's happened before as the Bonus Army once marched on Washington, and it will happen again. By the way, not to, not the happiest of endings to that story, with the Bonus Army being basically routed by the U.S. military, but the point is sometimes people reach a point where they just say, enough. And Alan J. Pfeiffer says, the time will come again when we'll realize the wisdom of the Founding Fathers expressed within our Constitution and the power it vests in we the people which means you and me. So he says, never give in to those that seek to bring us low and don't believe their lies. God bless America. Interesting. I know there's times I go back and forth between feeling like, yeah, 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 we've got this. And and I just want to be really clear. Um, the discouragement that I feel sometimes just is how just unrelenting and expansive the effort is to snuff out liberty And I think the really discouraging part, at least for me personally, comes down to how many people will go along with it just because that's the easier thing to do. But I also have to put this out there just for your consideration. You don't have to agree, but from my vantage point, I think one of the most overlooked aspects of, well, you know, is it really hopeless? I have to answer that question by asking myself, is freedom, is liberty, Something that, uh, that God not only finds acceptable, but considers his greatest gift to us, his children. I know how I would answer that question. I would say, absolutely. God is very much interested in our freedom and very much interested in helping us to maintain and preserve that freedom if we're willing to ask for his help. Right now, I just don't see a lot of people that are in that state of mind where they would humble themselves, basically turn to the creator of the universe and say, we need your help. Well, Brian, is there any precedent of this before? Oh, yes, yes. Study the history of the American Revolution. Study the dynamic of what drove those colonists to stand up for their freedoms, to fight for their freedoms, to suffer and to lose things in the name of securing their independence. 
It wasn't just a desire for political power, although I'm sure that's the way it's portrayed in you know, most textbooks today. There was a spiritual dynamic and a moral clarity that drove what they were doing. Read the Declaration of Independence. Read it carefully. Notice how many places Thomas Jefferson refers to how men are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, how they are you know, putting this out before the supreme judge of the, the universe with a firm reliance on divine providence that what they're doing is right and standing up for themselves. Yeah, the dynamic was there, and it was real, and it wasn't because they were trying to create a theocracy. But they understood that the cause of freedom, the cause of of self-determination for each and every human being, God not only eh, begrudgingly allows it, he approves of it. And I guess what a lot of people don't seem to understand is that uh, freedom and liberty are principles that can only be handled by people who are capable of living the principles and practices associated with them. And as much as it pains me to say this, we're just not there right now. Most people don't get that. So what can we do to to improve our position? Well, okay. Number one, you've got to be willing to do some of your own research. This means read original documents. And I know it sounds like really dry, unentertaining stuff. What are you suggesting? We pick up a copy of the Federalist Papers? Yes, I am suggesting that. In fact, I'm suggesting you also pick up a copy of the Anti-Federalist Papers to see what some of the arguments were against, against, uh, um, ah, the word is escaping me here for the moment, ratifying the uh, Constitution, you know, as it was being sold to the states. Well, are you guys going to step up and ratify this? See, turns out the Anti-Federalists had some very serious concerns about, is this going to be enough, this Constitution, will it be enough to keep government within its limits? Or is it going to just provide loophole after loophole where government can basically slip out of its leash any time that it wants? And the truth of the matter is, their concerns actually seem to have been borne out pretty well. I'm not saying, well, we'd be better off without the Constitution. I'm just saying some of the deficiencies that were recognized back when the ink was still wet on that paper, they were actually well-founded. So I'm going to have to give this uh, this one to the uh, anti-federalists. They were like, ah, we can do better. And maybe we can do better as well. But in the meantime, very important that if you want to understand what were they thinking You've got to be willing to do original research. You've got to be willing to read original sources. And you absolutely positively cannot outsource your thinking to anybody else. I don't care how persuasive they sound. I don't care how convincing they are. I don't care how scared they may make you. I'm looking at the media as I say this, but as as they report on this or that, you know, with the idea that, well, this will make you fearful and therefore a little more easy to steer in a particular direction. You've got to be the one to think these things through for yourself. And you can tell the people who've done this. Okay, this is going to sound a little bit like a flex, but I'm, I'm actually bragging on the people in whose lives I've seen this change come over them as they start to understand what their rights are. The fact that those rights limit government power over them. And then as they stand up and they claim and use and defend those rights, 
they become very firm in their conviction that government exists to, to keep us free, not to micromanage our lives and tell us everything that we should be doing. So my invitation to you is to become that person. Be willing to, to pay the price of doing a little extra study, of becoming familiar, you know, your, your exposition, as Leonard Reed would put it, of uh, the principles and practices of liberty. The better you know it, the better you'll be able to share it with other people. And you'll know you're doing it right when other people actually start to approach you and say, hey, can I get your advice on this or could you help me figure this out? Good luck. Hey, I'm marching right beside you. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Quick shout out here to lifesavingfood.com. That would be food storage, emergency preparedness supplies. Actually, there's there's a lot that falls into that category. Probably be worth clicking on the link I provide in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. That's lifesavingfood.com. Tell them thanks for being a sponsor and do some business with them and gain peace of mind that comes from being prepared for whatever's coming. Well, a disturbing sign of the times can be seen in the woke struggle sessions that we're constantly being told we have to attend. Saw a great article from Thomas G. McCotter. Constitutionally protected struggle sessions. That's the title. He says, let us hope Governor Ron DeSantis and Florida's legislature continue to expand laws to protect their citizens from compulsory woke indoctrination. So apparently in a recent ruling, the Honorable Mark Walker, Chief U.S. District Judge for the Northern District of Florida, Tallahassee Division, granted an injunction against the state of Florida's Stop Woke Act, which endeavors to protect employees from left-wing critical race theory indoctrination intrinsic intrinsic to the diversity, inclusion, and equity. That's a DIE acronym based on the chronological order in which the left created these concepts. Training sessions mandated by employers and usually conducted by their DIE consultants. The decision is the first step in granting employers and likely the federal government the power to indoctrinate workers with the left's woke ideology. Now, the court's injunction of this duly enacted statute of the state of Florida has rendered Florida citizens without recourse from employers' mandatory die training sessions and scurrilous accusations and compulsory activities it thrusts upon them. In sum, if the federal district court's injunction leads, as expected, to the striking down of the Florida statute, other judicial activists throughout the country will then cite the precedent and act accordingly. Employers and their diversity, inclusion, and uh, uh, what is it? Diversity, inclusion, and equity consultants and likely their state and federal governments will in, will be uh, focusing on on getting us to think. They'll think that they are constitutionally justified in ascribing thought crimes to their employees and then subjecting them to partisan political indoctrination. That's kind of a scary thought. He says, while the state of Florida sought first and foremost to protect employees' freedom of conscience and liberty, the court focused on affirming and cementing the power of employers and consultants to engage in free speech by requiring you to listen to what they have to say. 
and in so doing, the court dismissed the reality that the free speech of the employers and consultants was really not at issue. But the heart of the matter is the rights of the employees specifically to not be compelled to listen as their employer and its die consultants ascribe to them socially despised thoughts, compel their agreement, and coerce them into actions affirming and atoning for these alleged thought crimes based upon race alone. In some, then, the court seems to believe that the in the instance of die training sessions, the powerful employer and its die consultants have a special right to free speech that can force others to listen, agree, and act, even regardless of the dictates of the compelled listener's conscience. That is a conundrum, wouldn't you say? So, too, for cases involving governmental powers to conduct and or require other entities to hold CRT or die training. The court, can, the court evidently considers corporate and government speech the most highly protected political speech, not the lesser protected commercial speech. Thus, the issue arises whether a state or federal government entity has the power to compel the propagation and indoctrination of political speech or use taxpayer funds to perform it, especially if it's partisan political speech. One Florida correspondent remarked to, uh, to the author here upon the issuance of the court's injunction, such woke training sessions for employees are Maoist struggle sessions reminiscent of the cultural revolution that the Chinese Communist Party made famous in the 1960s when they subjugated their population through ideological purity tests, ruining countless lives and setting the nation back decades. He says the totalitarian tactic of suggesting one knows the thoughts of someone else would be risible if it were not so demonstrably destructive. The power of an employer and its die consultants, let alone the federal government, to ascribe unacceptable thoughts to an employee without a shred of evidence, and then to demand that that employee conduct himself in a mandated manner to atone for the ascribed thought, mirrors the way totalitarian regimes persecute people for thought crimes. Now, perversely, the court's ruling protecting woke indoctrination abets the erroneous weaponization of a part of the First Amendment, free speech, against the overarching right to freedom of conscience. Even as the woke ideology's accusations of collective race-based implicit and unconscious bias and guilt and privilege inverts the concept of innocent until proven guilty, the very foundation of Western jurisprudence. So in accordance with the right to freedom of conscience, the first step is to recognize an employee's right to leave any training session, mandatory or voluntary, that he subjectively feels is offensive and or infringes upon his conscience or person for any reasons. And if his employer is proven to have retaliated against said employee in any manner for doing so, that employer can be held legally liable. The second step is self-evident and equitable. In America, the dye industrial complex was estimated to be an $8 billion industry and is projected to mushroom to more than $15 billion by 2026. The point here is we need to end taxpayer subsidization of political speech in the workplace. Ironically, rather than declaring these trainings commercial speech by applying the highest standard in its ruling, the U.S. District Court recognized the intrinsic political nature of woke indoctrination. Thus, like all other employer ventures into politics, such woke indoctrination training, like all political speech, 
should not be subsidized by taxpayers and should no longer be tax deductible within state and federal tax codes. Now, there are two ways to spot political training sessions. First, does the training ascribe offensive thoughts and motivations to an employee or specific group of employees, compel them to accept the allegations, and compel them to act in a manner as if the accusation were true? Second, does the training in question align itself with one side of a highly contentious political issue? Now, certainly there are widely held and widely divergent positions on CRT in particular and woke ideology in general. Indeed, the woke ideology is held by a decided minority of the citizenry. It's Dr. Martin Luther King's view of racial harmony to base relations upon the content of one's character rather than the color of one's skin that prevails within the larger society. Thus, despite the setback, as Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody continues the fight to protect Floridians' freedom of conscience, Thaddeus McCotter says, let us hope Governor Ron DeSantis and the state's legislature continue to explore and expand laws to protect their citizens from compulsory woke indoctrination. He says, the burden they carry is heavy, for the stakes could not be greater. The Biden administration, its lackey Democratic Congress, and leftist federal and state governmental institutions are imposing woke indoctrination throughout our nation. And if these socially corrosive Maoist struggle sessions are insanely deemed constitutionally protected, they will write our free republic's suicide note. Stranger things have happened, right, Judge Walker? Interesting take. And I have to admit, uh, I I don't want to sound like I'm gloating here, but this is one of the reasons why I am so grateful to to be working for myself, to be a proud member of the gig economy and out there working as an independent contractor. Because I don't have to deal with, with so much of this just nonsense that is being foisted on people in the name of, well, it's company policy, so you have to do this. I got to tell you, my my thinking on, you know, private property, I'm still a a big fan of private property and still believe that, yes, it's worth defending. But that line between, well, it's a private company and therefore what they say goes. And when a private company is forcing someone to toe the line for this government mandate or that government mandate, I mean, this started with the the, uh, forcing people to get to vaccinations that they didn't want to get, you know, particularly the COVID shot. There's a blurring of that line where I'm just not sure that uh, companies that are towing the government line or doing the government's dirty work by forcing something upon their employees, be it an unwanted COVID vaccination or, you know, indoctrination into CRT and diversity and inclusion and equity. I don't know if they deserve to be treated as private property. Because somewhere there's, there's some kind of an unholy alliance that has taken place here. And I'm just not sure where exactly to fall on that. So I'm I'm kind of a work in progress on this. All I know is something there isn't quite right. And I think uh, Thaddeus uh, McCotter actually has uh, some pretty good food for thought for how Florida's handling it. Look, I can see problems coming about from the laws and uh, the rules that uh, the state legislatures could make to protect citizens. I mean, if you when when you let the state intervene, stuff becomes a political football. I wonder if the better option is to take it out of the state's hands altogether. This 
is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back. If you haven't subscribed to my show notes, I would like to extend an invitation to do so. I'm not saying that all your dreams are going to come true, your teeth will be pearly white, your breath minty fresh, but you'll definitely find some good food for thought each day that I do the show and links that you can follow if you want to better inform yourself. Again, you don't have to agree with any of it. This is just, this is some of the best information, some of the most credible sources I can come up with on a day-to-day basis. Got some wonderful stuff to choose from. Just go to thebrianhideshow.com, click on show notes. Down at the bottom of the page, you'll see a subscribe button. It's going to ask for your email address, which I will not give or sell or lend to anybody else. But I will send you a copy of those show notes each day that I do the program. Well, this is going to be a tough pill for a lot of folks to swallow, but we are now free to discuss the problems associated with the jab. Yeah. I know. Tucker Carlson actually, I think, talked about this on his show the other day. We're permitted to discuss all the death and all the sickness caused by Pfizer, Moderna, the J&J vaccines, provided that we blame them on Trump. Now, Alex Jones called this. I know people despise Alex Jones. How could he possibly have known what was going on? But I'm telling you, the guy called it. Andy Frazella called it. And you're going to see a pivot in the media narrative here very soon where suddenly we're going to start talking about, hey, well, you know, there's some there are some real drawbacks here to the vaccine, but it's all Trump's fault. And it's not good. And, and, and as much as it pains me to say this, Trump shoots himself in the foot every time that he flexes that ego and says, well, you know, the whole reason Operation Warp Speed worked was because I was the one who was president. This is my legacy. I'm the one who got that vaccine developed in record time. And it's true. You know, he he was one of the moving forces behind getting it out there. The problem is it became a tool of uh, oppression and a tool of compliance. You will take the vaccine or you will not fly on this plane. You will take the vaccine or be able to show proof that you've taken the vaccine or you will not come into this restaurant. You won't work here. And I know that's that's going to upset to people who are in the Trump camp, but Trump was one of the people who enabled this, bragged about it. I know he kind of walked it back a little bit. To, well, it should be your choice. It should be your choice. But have you noticed? There have been a couple of times. I've only seen at least two Just two instances that I can think of. Perhaps there have been some others, but I've seen two instances where Trump speaking to large, receptive crowds of people who absolutely love him was booed. I mean, they booed him like it was Hillary Clinton standing there telling him what a basket of deplorables they were because he was urging people to go and get vaxxed. So watch for the pivot. It's coming. And it's, uh, it's definitely going to be something that the, the herd is going to be told to believe. 
All right, one final note here. This is from Brandon Smith, and I got to give Ruben a shout uh, a shout out here for for being such a wonderful researcher. Brandon Smith's article, "Understanding the Tyrannical Mind and How It Operates," this should be required reading. Okay, now I'm not I'm not into you know giving assignments. I'm not into making mandates here myself, but I'm suggesting you would come away with some really great food for thought if you would uh, if you would take a look at this article, which is linked in my show notes. Brandon Smith says, all people seek to control their environment to a certain degree. They want a reliable level of management over their world and to remove whatever doubts they might have about their survival in the future. If they can, people will take the measures to remove any potential pain or struggle and establish a life of perpetual comfort. The easy road is the dream for most, and in order to get it, human beings see power as a formidable tool. Now, he says, I'm exploring this common condition because I want to make it clear that almost all people desire power to a degree. Sometimes this even means controlling the actions of others to prevent them from disrupting the oasis of comfort we construct around us. Now, sometimes there are destructive people that we feel are, are uh, we are forced to inhibit uh, are, and cage in self-defense. And still other times, we try to control those around us out of irrational fear. His point is this tyrannical mindset is not exclusive to the Stalins, Maos, and Hitlers of history. It's a deep-rooted shadow that that lurks in the majority of us at times. That's a hard thing to admit, but he's right. It is this condition that political tyrants try to exploit to their advantage. Because no authoritarian government can ever be successful without the help of millions of little tyrants supporting them. They find a way to feed our desire for control and predictability while simultaneously enslaving us. So the point is, tyrants need us. We all have a little dash of tyranny in our souls. We are linked, but we are different. Now, that's not to say that order is in itself evil or that social structures are inherently oppressive. People need boundaries because not all people are good or sane. Some are vicious. Some are lazy. Some are crazy. Some are incompetent and some are dishonest and they drag the rest of us down. Anarchy is not the solution, but neither is totalitarianism. It's all about who sets the boundaries and how. And he says, this is where we uncover a specific human element that is obsessively attracted to control. Not because they're afraid and not because they want comfort, but because they enjoy the feeling of power. They're addicted to it. He says, I'm speaking specifically about narcissists, sociopaths, and psychopaths. They are members of our species, but they are lacking the key psychological traits that make us human, such as empathy, conscience, imagination, love, and shame. In almost every case of government gone wrong, it's because these types of people were able to slither into positions of authority and take advantage. Despite the exaggerated depictions in movies and TVs, your average psychopath is not all that complex or interesting. The fact of their existence is interesting, but as people, they tend to be boring. The idea of them is fascinating because they are a biological anomaly, an evolutionary mistake, or maybe even a spiritual deformity. Around 1% of any given population is prone to psychopathy. And an even smaller percentage are high-functioning psychopaths that are adept at hiding their monstrous natures. He says most average psychopaths eventually end up in prison or involved in an endless succession of life failures. 
They can't get it together and maintain relationships and build a normal life because they're too self-obsessed and dangerous, and eventually the people around them notice. These types of people are what I would call the little tyrants. And Brandon Smith says they seem to rise to the surface of society when times are desperate. When people are distracted by crisis is when psychopaths feel it's safe to show their true natures. For example, during the COVID pandemic lockdowns and the government attempts to introduce draconian vax mandates, the little tyrants were everywhere. They just appeared out of the ether and swirled around the authoritarian vortex like it was a feeding frenzy. They took pleasure in the opportunity to order others around about masks and vaccines and social distancing, even though none of these measures made any difference whatsoever to the spread of COVID or the rather minor median infection fatality rate of 0.23%. They were tossed scraps of power from the table and they savored every minute of it. The real science wasn't on their side, but they didn't care. The media and the government were on their side and that's all that mattered. They were happy to be used as weapons against other citizens that just wanted to be free. So beyond the symbiotic or maybe parasitic relationship between big and little tyrants, there are a set of standards that have to be met in order for tyranny to be successful. And he goes into some detail on these. Destruction of choice is one of them, creating false moral paradoxes, obsessive compulsive expansion. Tyranny, he says, cannot be defeated, though, unless it's understood. He says there will be people out there that make the common ignorant argument that all of this is an exercise in futility because it doesn't address solutions. But Brandon Smith says there are many solutions to authoritarian systems. He says, I've been writing about them for over 16 years now. We can talk all day about decentralization and localism and organization and revolution. None of this matters unless we understand how our enemies think and the tactics they use. If we don't know them, we cannot defeat them. But his point is they're not complex, and they're not necessarily ingenious, but they are relentless. And underestimating their obsession with control would be disastrous. So, that said, he says the one thing they value more than power is their own lives. And until these people are made to understand that their lives could be the cost of their compulsions, they will never stop. There's no reasoning with them. There's no diplomacy or compromise. There's no middle ground. They will continue to take or they will be disrupted. Knowing their mindset, he says, brings us several steps closer to shutting them down. This is The Brian Hyde Show.